This document would have you thinking that if you stepped outside your front door in New York City in the 1980s, you were taking your life into your own hands. You, were you not? I don't know. But I don't think it was as bad as they want us to think I it was. I don't know. Okay, you were here. No, I just, <laughs> we've just heard it a lot. Like, we, I can't believe we didn't see the footage of that TV the in the TV in the Hudson, again. I know. You know what we did see, though? What? Jerry and Fence <laughs> Patrick Hines. Ba-da-da. I fall for it every time. Every time. I'm like, what it, did we it's see? It's my favorite thing. Joe Mama. Joe Mama. Fam, don't forget to join us on Patreon. You know, every single week, you get a full ad-free bonus episode. We have over 400 full ad-free bonus episodes for you to download a binge right this second. Yeah, and now you can get it all on Spotify. Yeah, so fam, Spotify has made our Patreon feed available. All you have to do is search TCO Patreon feed. Just click on it. It'll walk you through it. If we have any other podcasters listening to this. Yeah, like it's not just for listeners. It's also for creators too. Like just a note, I guess, yes. from us to you. We love you so much. And we just want other podcasters to know like you can make your Patreon content available over on Spotify. So get on it. Go do it. You will thank us when you see us at Obsessed Fest oh, probably. Yeah, okay, <laughs> Hi, wine and crime ladies. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we just did Gunther's Millions. It's about We're the doing... rich dog, the billionaire dog. I know, like, or maybe not. It's about a dog somehow. But Donna's involved. My current obsession is the who killed Robert Wan, which I is a know. two-parter where like four guys in a house, one of them gets killed. Who did it? Yeah, and like it, we it's 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 a, a tough yep. taste to crack. We take like a twenty-minute project runway detour. Yes, that's true. <laughs> but on. fam, you get a full bonus episode every single week. Like yeah. I, I'm amazed by that. You also get ad-free versions of these episodes. Yeah, we do AMAs. Sometimes we send you stuff in the mail. Yeah, There's it's a, a it's a really fun place Lots to be. Of options, um, girl. What are we talking about today? So this show has been very highly requested. It's called New York Homicide. Yeah, this is season one, episode seven. It's called. Slade and Soho. We are going to be sprinkling in. I think this was pretty well done. Yeah. So we're going to be sprinkling in these episodes on your feed. A writer in the vibrant art scene of early 1980s Soho is found dead in a parking lot. She was last seen en route to meet her husband. He said he was supposed to meet his wife at the Puck building at around 5 o'clock and he went there and from what I understand they must have missed each other. This is 1980s New York. Not really a time you want to be caught out after dark alone. Detectives question if her husband could have been involved. They're zoning in on him and they're saying, who is this guy, Richard? Can we really believe his story right now? Ironically, it's her missing wedding ring that provides a major clue. Whoever stole this ring, maybe they tried to get money for it. If we found that ring, we'd probably find who was responsible for this. This guy's getting out of town. There's something wrong here. Can I just say why I think you think this was well done? Why? Because every single member of your family is in this? No. I, number one, who is this host? I don't know if we ever get his name, but I want to know if you're related to him. Robert Boyce, who's talking straight to camera? <laughs> this guy? Yes. They're all, it's like hosted by like a former New York City cop. You <laughs> cannot tell me he's not your dad's brother. You, know you can't what I tell should, me. Well, my dad's an only child, so okay. that would be real, a really big root awakening Breaking for news. all of us. Um, I should do like a 23 and me and see, see, who's, see who's out there. You are related to every member of the 7-5 or else my uh, middle name isn't Joseph. You know what? What? I hate that. I don't want to be related to those people. But let me tell you, so because this we're in Soho and yeah. uh, Robert K. Boyce is the, the former New York City chief of detectives. He's talking straight to camera. He really wants you to know he explains what Soho is basically. Yes. Soho is south of Houston Street. He, he really, looks, But he's the only guy who talks straight to camera. And you are, Look, it's bringing out the queens in you. Do you hear? Talk straight to camera. No. Talks 
You've said it four times. This is bringing out, this is the Jillianist episode we've ever done. Is it? I think so. I'm not like a beautiful artist. No, no it's because it's all like New Year. Oh. Honey, when I'm referring to you being like an episode being the most, it's because it's the most Queens oh. episode we've done in a while. Even though it takes place in South. <laughs> Which is south of Haston Street. New York City has many iconic neighborhoods. But there is one that stands out for its beauty and culture. Soho. The neighborhood in Lower Manhattan is called Soho because it's south of Houston Street. The cheap loft spaces of the 70s attracted artists who could live and do their art on a starving artist budget. What sort of like stands out about Soho in general is that they were where all the old factories was. So all of the buildings are like loft style because they used to be factories. And Claire Danes' family bought a loft there for like $30,000 in the 70s and sold it for like $8 million right. last year. So in the 70s, all those loft spaces were cheap because if you can imagine it now, like Soho was the place you didn't want to be. Yes. So, But like, a lot of the loft spaces didn't have bathrooms. Like you yeah, get them super cheap, yeah. but you had to like build bathrooms. Like but it was not Now a, they're like $30,000 yes. a month just to rent. What, they're right. mil- they're like tens of millions of dollars if you really want to get like yeah. those beautiful it's also like not a neighborhood I ever want to go it's just shopping like it's those loft buildings but on the ground floor it's like all the fancy shopping stores yeah which is I have absolutely no need for there used to be a store down on Broadway Broadway and Canal I think no but Yellow Rat Bastard that Ashley and I used to go to all the time I got my like triple five soul hoodie there I yeah. loved Yellow Rat that's Bastard that's very you it is not there anymore so we meet Detective Paul Pace yeah. from the 5th Precinct and I said wait are, Jillian are you related to this guy too what your... about these names? Paul <laughs> no, Pace? it's not the names. It's, oh, just, it's just the like, way they talk. Oh, or... like related. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, oh, he's yeah. my uncle, Paul. Exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah, well, I'm doing that 23 and me. Oh, you need to. <laughs> my God. But he tells us. About 7.15, 7.30 at night, we got a call about a female DOA in a parking lot on 128 Elizabeth Street. Female DOA. Oh my, we need to do better, Detective Pace. I know. He says, and we meet Detective Marty Davin, who's retired. He goes, that's known in police parlance as a dump job. Can we not? Holy shit. I know it's police parlance, but there's a lot of police parlance that I'm not really thrilled about. That we don't need to say. Dump job is on the list. (laughs) Please don't do that. That's rude. Yeah. But I know it's like, I get in trouble for saying this a lot. Like, oh, that's so rude. But it's like, that's how they talk. Like, okay, I don't know if that makes it right because they've been saying it for 40 years. Well, and it's also like, oh, are we going to get a lot of that because this is New York where they have no filter? You know what I mean? But we learn about this body. She's missing her boots and gloves. Mm-hmm. So, like, and, and she's also been like brutally beaten before she was killed. Yeah. Also, you know, she she's an Asian woman in her late 20s, early 30s. Her pants and underwear have been pulled down. Like she's definitely been sexually assaulted. Yeah, they're defensive wounds, but no ID on her, no wallet, no anything. So yeah. we meet Esha Ray, who's the editor for the New York Daily News. And she's here to say like, who is this person? What's her name? How did this happen? And she's telling us that the cops, like they really had to start from scratch because there was nothing. Yeah, and like the way she was killed, they say she had been strangled like and, and really badly beaten up. She had fought back. Yeah. They say that like that whoever killed her, it was close and physical. He's like, it wasn't a gunshot from 10 feet away. So this yeah. was obviously like a very personal crime. And we get a lot of, you know, because this was the 80s, this was a, a long time ago. We don't have the GPS stuff. We don't have the technology. You're going to have to be relying on fingerprints that are taken in the morgue, uh, maybe dental records. And then hopefully someone would come forward and say that this person is missing. And then, you know, you just hope that someone calls looking for her. I know. And I'm that, like, 
Oh, wow. I, is that the best we could do in Amazing. the 80s? Amazing. Great job, everybody. Keep up the good work. What is it, 501? <laughs> Let's get home. I Let know. that pot roast on the table. I just, like, how any of these murders got solved before DNA, I don't understand. I, like, Because there's no cameras. DNA. I mean, how many of, of these episodes that we make are, like, it's all based on surveillance video. Yeah. DNA. Right? Like, this was I, long before we were being filmed and followed and listened to with every device. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, there, are, there are cases now where people, we can actually follow someone from store to store store like or road oh, to road yeah. because of like the security cameras at the store like th- we're not here no not anywhere close no detective pace is working late that night he says it's about 2 a.m when somebody walks in and i'm thinking 2 a.m detective pace it's one thing to work late be really committed to the case at 2 a.m it feels like you just don't want to go home well What's there's going- several svu episodes <laughs> okay. where they stay through the night <laughs> really? days and days yeah, yeah, yeah like Liv is you know sleeping for 20 minutes and then something happens like yeah. when you're on a case i get it you gotta work it. look and i'm glad to hear that these cops are really they're invested in this yeah. case. My, my out the door at 501 joke is not applicable here. <laughs> no. And I appreciate that. I like that. So they're working on the case. It's two in the morning. Someone walks in. His name is Richard Barnes. Yeah. And he reports his wife missing. They were supposed to meet for dinner. She didn't show up. He thinks that, well, maybe she got caught up with some work. She got caught up with some friends. She decided to do something else. He meets up with friends for drinks. Again, they're not texting. There's no cell phones. I was just going to say, like, we have to remember, I don't think that was that uncommon back then. Like, how did you get in touch with people? So this is Richard and he, his wife didn't show up. And if like, they have the kind of relationship where like, sometimes she's a little forgetful or maybe like in the past, like she's just decided to do something else. It feels very weird from a 2023 perspective. I I agree. But in 1980, when this takes place, this probably wasn't that uncommon. Yeah. And I guess he just says, maybe they went to a local spot where she would show up there when he's drinking with his friends or something. But yeah, it's very interesting. Like, it's very important to look at this at the year where it's taking totally. place. Yeah. Because he couldn't just text her. It's not like she wasn't responding to texts. Exactly. And I think now we just go to like, well, why wasn't it? Why didn't he call her? Why call was he more worried? You know what I mean? Right. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Maybe he did go to the payphone on the down the block and call the house. I don't know. And then like you have to check. Remember when I had to talk you through how you would check your own vo- I answering machine? Answering <laughs> machines. That There's a lot that got lost in translation I, there. And I, people were very upset at my point of view. I know how an answering machine works. Did you ever have one? Yes, of course. (laughs) God, people thought there was all of this like really shady business that I was trying to lie about all this shit. It was very strange. Lying? Why? I don't know. People are crazy. Um, I know what an answering machine is. I've I've used one. I've left a message. I've checked messages. But yeah, they couldn't do that. But Detective Pace tells us as soon as Richard tells him what his wife was wearing and what she looked like, he says, And as soon as he told me what his wife was wearing and what she looked like, I knew I had bad news from. I had a Polaroid, and I showed him the Polaroid, and that was it. I had a Polaroid of her dead fucking body. We gotta do better. He pulls out the Polaroid to show Richard, and, like, that's how Richard finds out that his wife is this body that they just found in that Elizabeth Street parking lot. Like, what on... No! No, because the cops are realizing, oh, my God, he's describing our Jane Doe. Yes. So what do we do here? And and Let me pull out the Polaroid and show you a picture of your brutally murdered wife. Absolutely not. Choices were made that night at 2 a.m. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
So the detectives no longer have a Jane Doe. They learn that the victim's name is Teresa Cha. Yeah. And we meet her brother, John. John, what a hero John is. I love John so, I mean, my God, John plays a major role in Huge. this down the road. As does their mother, the, the whole family does. Yeah, they get a, so John gets a call from 6 a.m. from Richard, and he's like, why is that guy calling me? Richard the like, husband. Richard the husband. I was like, that's cold, John. But then I was kind of like, yeah, if one of Steve's siblings called me, I would definitely think that something was up. You would do a what's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? What? What happened? Whoa, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's My mom's tone when I call, hey, hello, hi. <laughs> Just like when you she, call to say hello? If Barbara. I, because I know we, we text constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me to call, uh-huh. her, she's always, you can feel, you can hear the trepidation. She's like, hi. <laughs> that is such a specific tone. And, it's such a but mom. But you know what I mean? 100%. Hey, what? Oh, hi. hi. Like who's dead? Uh-huh. What uh, happened? Uh-huh. Are you in trouble? What like who how can I help? Like just <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's nothing. It's just easier, you know, if we're if we're uh, like sometimes I would call her about like, okay, so Mike and I are gonna come this day yeah, or this yeah, time yeah. or whatever, and it's just kind of easier. Hi. Hi. <laughs> well, <laughs> You okay? Is, and I'm like, Mom. That is so funny. Please. But Richard has to tell John that Teresa's dead. And then, you know, John, the brother, is just saying that, like, when you first hear the news, it's like those projection machines. It goes click, click, click. And it goes on like that. And that's what I was seeing. Her image as a child. That's what I saw. All he can do is, like, see images of Teresa throughout her life, which now we see, and now I'm sobbing. Right. And we learned they were a very, very close-knit family. There were five of them. Teresa was the third sibling. John was the oldest. They immigrated from Korea. And we learned so so much about Teresa here. I know. I I just kept thinking, like, more of this. I know. I know. More of this because she doesn't get lost here. This is... it ends with this like really beautiful moment about her. She was an artist. We learned so much about who she was. I gotta tell was. you, I side googed a bit and I learned even more about her, yeah, which I'll she's share. she's incredible. We shouldn't be shocked by this. Right. This shouldn't be rare that right. it's like, wow, we really get to learn about this person and who she was. I know, and I could I could really see her because Brother John says that like when they first moved to the country, the transition was hard for her. She was young and she didn't talk a lot. She was very like to herself, yeah. which of course like reminded me of Daisy. Very like, introverted. Daisy can be kind of on the quiet side, but we learned that like ultimately in life, she was very expressive. Like, remember she like turns out to be an artist yeah and he says that like when she was young she wins this big art contest like that was held by the san francisco like like she was like really fucking good at art like from a young age and that's the way she expressed herself and she did it in many ways in many different mediums she was also trilingual she becomes fluent in korean english and french like oh my god i'm barely fluent in english barely barely hardly hardly (laughs) barely no, Barely's the right one. See, it, well, we're living it. We're living it. Um, <laughs> she went to UC Berkeley, which yeah. has a, a very big community of artists and writers. And she loved being with the. She was like the cool artsy kid, and she yeah. like found her people, and they all were just really into. She was like living the life of an artist. Immediately, which, I was so. I'm like, I want this life. We meet her friend Sandy. She was an undergrad, and I was a graduate student. And one of the things I remembered most about her was her voice, which was like breath. She emanated a kind of kindness and a kind of spirituality that she's otherworldly. She talks a lot about her voice. She says she yeah. was so soft-spoken and there was something about her voice that you just sort of like perked up. Like you couldn't, you, you were so, she was fascinating. She was a fascinating and person. And she knew herself. Like she was in touch yeah. with herself. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 
And so she, Teresa met her husband at UC Berkeley. They, th- he went to her art shows and yeah. then he helped her produce these video projects and her photography. And so they immediately started working together. Yes. And they tell us that by the end of the 70s, Teresa felt like she'd outgrown the Bay Area and all of her friends were moving to New York and she wanted to move to New York. And now we're headed to New York City in the 1980s, baby. Yeah, because Soho was like this up and coming art community. Yeah. And because of like the really cheap rents with the old factories and the lofts, like they tell us that there were a lot of drugs down there back in the early 80s. It's wild to hear them describe Soho in the 80s. Because when I, I think of Soho in the 80s, I think of like Madonna and Basquiat yeah. and Keith Haring. Yeah. Like that's where they all like lived and hung out. But they, they tell us it was full of galleries and writers and poets and artists and photographers. Like it is definitely not that anymore. It's very sterile now. It's very compared sterile. Compared to what it's, it was right. back Right. It's very just like rich people live there. And, and that's where all like the fancy shops are. Yeah. But like whenever you see a picture of like Madonna or Keith Haring like in the 1980s, yeah. they're always standing like in some doorstop in, yeah. in Soho. Down at like cafeteria or whatever. Yeah, because it's also like cobblestone streets. It's a very yeah, cool, those are, yeah. you know. It is. It, it is very cool. And there are definitely like very cool blocks still down in Soho. Yes. But for the most part, like the big fancy galleries and like, yeah, everyone thinks like, oh, Madison Avenue in New York City uh-huh. and the Upper East Side. And that's totally true. Madison Avenue and Fifth Avenue, like for sure. But there are some pricey, like Soho can can have yeah. the cool, like that's where like all the knockoff bags are too down yeah, at Broadway yeah, 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 Canal. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's still stuff where like the price tag, you're like, oh my God, like, what is this? Like, I would never, I can't go shopping down there. And here's something that is going to make a lot of people go, oh, like, this is interesting. Uh Richard and Teresa's relationship was, like, a little bit rocky. They Mm -hmm. were kind of on and off, and they would separate and then get back together again. And so, of course, the cops are like, oh, let's focus on that, and let's really ask Richard, the husband, what happened that night. And you know what? Like, fair question, cops. Like, let's, I mean, I want to look into Richard, too, at this point. Right. You know? So, here's what he tells the cops. He said he was supposed to meet his wife at the Puck building at around 5 o'clock, and he went there... And they must have missed each other. He went home and he called a few people. They asked if he's seen Teresa and nobody said anything. Richard's like, I don't know. I guess we just missed each other because Teresa never showed up. Right. So it's not like he was at the restaurant for no, dinner. And that's what I w- was trying to say earlier was like, if they have that kind of on again, off again relationship, maybe this is why, like maybe one of them was flaky and they just yeah. wouldn't show up sometimes or whatever. You know, like, it seems like it wasn't that unusual for one of them to have just not been there. Right. And so he goes home and uh-huh. then he like called around asking for her. And So it's not like he did nothing. It's not like he just was like, ah, I'm just going to go drinking with my friends and who cares? He did go home and make some calls. Right. To see if anybody knew where she was, but nobody did. And by 2 a.m., he comes in to report her missing. So it's right. not like he was just going to say, like, oh, maybe she'll come home tomorrow. Exactly. Like he, I think he he looked for her, couldn't find her, went out for a couple drinks, and then came home. She wasn't home, and he went right to the police department. And this is when that journalist says, like, this was 1980s New York. Not really a time you want to be caught out after dark alone. I was like, everyone calm down. <laughs> Plenty of people survived in New York in the 80s and were just fine. I got to tell you, like, it's bad everywhere. It always. So, exactly. like, from, from the beginning of time to now to Tomorrow yeah. to the next like, year. I get that it was dangerous, and obviously this is a tragic story that happened. This point. like murders did happen, but it was like, come on, like yeah. you couldn't go outside. That's not sensationalized. You don't get caught this. outside in New York after dark in New York in the eighties. Like, oh my god. Like, let's not let's learn more about Tariq. Let's not sensationalize <laughs> right. this, please. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're really looking at the husband and like we're saying like, of course. Because they're they're also saying the fact that he went out drinking with friends was viewed with skepticism and with some suspicion. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like we have to put ourselves in the mindset of like not being able to constantly communicate. Right. You know? But also back then, like they didn't know any different. Right. So, That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, so like, I don't think it's weird that like your wife didn't, like you're, you think your wife blew you off. So like, yeah, you're going to have drinks with your friends. Yeah. And I also think like, 
you have to ask the husband. You have yes. to ask, like, you, you have to be a little suspicious and be yeah. like, okay, so you just left? Like, all right, whatever. Yeah. So they ask him about what she was wearing the last time he saw her. And right. this is what she was wearing when she left the house that morning. Because the last time he saw her was that morning at the apartment. Right. When detectives press Richard to describe her outfit for the day, they get their first lead. She was wearing a beret, gloves, a red leather uh, coat. Teresa was also carrying a red uh, bag from the Met. And then the cops are like, wait a second. Yeah. Because her gloves and her beret were missing from the scene. So they really want to find those items. Yeah. And they keep saying, like, if we can find Teresa's missing clothes, it'll be a huge piece of evidence. Huge. Just huge. Jillian. With a Y. Huge. Huge with a Y. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, so we know what she was wearing. We got to find those two items, the gloves and the beret. But, like, what was she doing all day? Like, why, why would she have maybe been late or blowing you off or whatever? He says she went to work at the Met. So I guess she worked at the Met. Which is all the way on the Upper East Side. Very far it's from far where from she was. Soho. Yeah. Then after that, she was supposed to go to a gallery called the Artist Space where she was going to meet with the owners about like a show that she had coming up there. Yeah. Which I was like, Teresa was fucking she doing was living it. that life. She was doing Big time. it. Yeah. Like even her like survival job or day job is at the Met. You exactly. know, like she was just really, really in that community. And yeah. when she's at this gallery, the Artist Space, she meets with this guy, Kenji Fujita. He's yeah. a photographer. Now, the cops go really far. They're like, this Kenji Fujita was a photographer by trade. So he paid attention to the lighting. So obsessed with lighting <laughs> that he was able to know for sure that she left before sunset because they're like, he's always very aware of all the lighting in his right. life. <laughs> and I'm like, or maybe he just realized, I don't like. They say that they were able to kind of pinpoint it to like, based on Kenji's description of the lighting, it was about 4.30 in right. the afternoon, which lines up because it would take her about a half hour to walk to the puck building right. from there. And she was supposed to be Richard at five. But I was like, yeah. even Kenji was like, I don't like lighting that yeah, much. Everyone lighten up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not literally. Or maybe this helped. I don't yeah, know. We don't know. But it, like they kind of like poor Kenji because Kenji's not here. Yeah. So I wonder if he's like, well, I'm not that pretentious. Like I, I like know. light, but I don't know. I just noticed it was sunset. Exactly. So they think that she left probably around 4:30 p.m. Yeah. And that made sense because she was supposed to meet her husband at five. So yeah. they're we're, this we're clocking it around like 4:30 ish. We cut back to brother John real quick, and he's like very aware of like how dangerous New York was in the 80s. Yeah. And he's like, we were not certain why she wanted to live there. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a big change from Berkeley. It's you know? also like anybody who's ever moved to New York is like you have to explain to your family the I appeal like for those of us who moved here from somewhere else uh-huh. it, it, like there it was a no-brainer like we were always gonna you only move here if you were always gonna move here okay yeah but like to other people you know, it's like it's expensive it's dangerous it's why would you go there you yeah. know what I mean so I understand that sentiment of like it makes perfect sense to Teresa like that's where the art is that's where all my friends are going that's where I can like live in 30,000 square feet for five dollars a month and yeah. make my art and do my thing <laughs> but brother John's like put the murder rate though yeah when we were in LA and Vegas for this time like specific I don't know why but everyone we met who was like hey where are you from when we said New York more often than not they were literally like ugh ugh how do you do it and I'm I like know. I don't know but people I, hate New York if they you don't hate live here it. they and hate that's it like, that's super that's fine but yeah. what if I was like in Minnesota right and then someone was like or no I like you're like, oh, all the moose. And How like, do you do it? I would I would be like, oh, cool. I've never been there. It must be cold. <laughs> right, like, right, I right, wouldn't right, just yeah, be yeah. like, ugh, horrible. <laughs> How do you do it? Well, well, I'm not going to live there. Know, it's like, okay. It's true. People definitely feel uh, they have a, like a license to shit all over New York. It does not matter. If the tables were turned, I would never, never. but I also could never. Uh-huh. Like, I would never get, I would never be able to get away with that shit. Totally. I also, like, there's nothing in me to shit on where you came from. I know. 
either. Yeah. Like, North Dakota. Oh my god. Like, I I would be like, what's that like? I've never been. I totally. But I'm also intensely curious. What is North Dakota like? Yeah. Somebody chime in in the Facebook. Group. Like a place where I wouldn't. I'm trying to think of a place with weather where I'd be like, oof, I could never survive there. Oh, like Phoenix. Phoenix. You could never live in Phoenix. But the dry air that uh-huh. might be good. Okay. But I would say like always looking on the bright side, GP. But what I would say is like, oh man, I'm such a winter person. Like, what's the heat yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally. Are you okay? It's like 108 usually, yeah. right? But I wouldn't be like, oh, God, I feel sorry for you. Like, what? Don't, you know. don't have to feel sorry for me. I'm like, okay. We're fine. I'm all right. But, you know, back to the case, now we're learning that, like, neither Teresa nor Richard made a lot of money. And they're saying, like, maybe that's a reason why he might have killed her. Like, Their you know, financial struggles. Money struggles lead to stress. And maybe that, maybe he snapped. I'm, like, we're kind of reaching here, guys. No? Yeah. And then they're like, plus the on and off thing. Uh-huh. Like, you know, this, like, rock, quote, rocky relationship. Relationship, and we learn, like, this is where we learn more about Teresa. She's always starving in artist. That expression doesn't come idly. She's worked part-time jobs and anything to support her uh, artwork. She's constantly needs money. <laughs> and so we send her money whenever we can. Brother John's like, we were sending her money all the time. Because she was living the life of an artist in like, Soho in New York can City. Can I tell you, if I needed money, there's no world in which my sisters would be like just cutting checks and putting them in the mail. John, you are an angel. Yeah, well, maybe when she's like right out of college uh-huh. and she's trying to get her footing. You know, uh-huh. like now if you call your sisters, can I don't you know. Can you Sarah? I need a hundred bucks. Well, like, you know. Rent's due. But we learn that she was killed a week before her book came out. So here's where I went down a rabbit hole. Me too. So she wrote a book called Dictae. This is wild. Like yeah. it, it was published the day before she was killed. She mailed a copy to her brother. He got it on the day of the funeral. It felt to him like she was talking to him from the other side. And we'll get into more of that because I believe she was. But can I tell you this? This book Dictae, I went like on a rabbit hole about it. I have, it yeah, is I have the a whole synopsis. major, major work. So this is from... I like an article that I read. It was newly restored in 2022. It says, newly restored, this version of Teresa Cha's masterpiece honors the author's original intentions and vision for the book. Originally published in 1982, Dictae is a classic of modern Asian American literature. On YouTube, there's a marathon reading of it. That's like seven hours long of of different speakers in like 2020 just reading the book. This is like, Dictae is apparently a a major, major work. And it's, it's, it's an autobiography that quote transcends the self and it's the story of several women so yes. it's like it's like revolutionaries and it's her and yes. her mother yes. and then like very f- other famous women and then it says the book is divided into nine parts structured around the Greek muses Cha deploys a variety of texts documents images and forms of address and inquiry to explore issues of dislocation and the fragmentation of memory the result is a work of power complexity and enduring beauty it's what this book came out in 1980 wow. and it was like it's been in print this whole time. It was just remastered in 2022. They don't say any of no. this in the documentary. A classic work of autobiography that transcends the self is I know. what this says. Wild. Like to use like other women's stories yeah. to tell your story and your mother's story. Yeah. Like it's incredibly moving. Unbelievable. And wow. it's like still talked about to this day. I know. It's, I mean, talk about creating something that outlives you. I know. You know? And so... We learn, instead of learning about this book, we learn that Richard, the husband, is cleared because eventually they realize, you know what? He would have had injuries. I knew what happened to his wife, how she was beaten, which I know more or less that whoever did this would have some sort of laceration or scratches on their face or arms. 
And when I looked at his face and I looked at his arms, there was no scratches. There would be defensive wounds on the person's body. And who there did were this. wounds on her that showed that she fought. Yes. So her husband didn't have any of those things. So yeah. they're back to square one. And they're thinking, like, are there any witnesses? This was in a parking lot, basically. Like, this is New York City. It was five, you know, it was probably the afternoon. Like, they, what's going on? It was daylight. They say somebody would have walked by. So that makes them think that, like, that's where the body was dumped, but that's probably not where the murder took place. Right. There's also no physical evidence in the parking lot. Like, yeah. it's clearly just like where the body was put. And at this time, the Puck Building is undergoing a major renovation. So uh, this, again, blew my mind. The Puck Building is a major landmark building in New York. So, like, the fact that it was going through a major renovation in 1980 kind of blew my mind. Yeah. So it wasn't really open to the public. No, but it also means that, like, there weren't, like, there were just, like, like workers there. So not people who were there, like, all the time or every day. Plus, the building was kind of, like, gutted on the it inside. It was, like, a maze. It was just a yeah. construction site, and it was kind of, like, messy, and and no one was really going. I mean, those that's dangerous. Well, but it's also a, a a place where violence can happen because it's like not really regulated and it's no one's looking and it's, it's dark. It's just like and, a big, empty, dark, scary place. Exactly. So they search the building. They bring the dogs in. The dogs go crazy, but yep. nothing happens. And this is considered a dead end. Yeah. They go into the basement of the building and they and they search and they find nothing. And once again, the dogs hit, which is kind of crazy because then they find nothing. And they, remember, she's missing like her hat and her gloves. And but there's no, they can't find a crime scene anywhere. Yeah. And they kind of just give They're up. They're just like, oh, well, oh, well. And meanwhile, like, everyone is going through it. Richard, her yeah. husband, is a mess. Teresa's family is a mess. And Teresa's family blaming Richard. They're mad at Richard. And yeah. they're thinking, like, you know, John... Her brother says that her parents were super angry at him. Like, where was he? What was he doing? Just trying to make sense of it. And but it's also like, can you imagine? Teresa is not the kind of woman who wanted her husband following her around all day, like right. beating off people who were trying to bother yeah. her. You and, know what and I mean? Like, th- the, the big question is like, why didn't he protect her? And I think it's a very natural thing. I don't think sure. it's like a realistic thing to ask. Yeah. But in the days after a murder, I think of course and you, the parents are going to be thinking to feel that. however you want to feel. I of mean, course. of course, and because I'm sure they they. Didn't, I'm, I mean, I'm gathering that they didn't really love that she moved all the way to New York City. And what, I think. And their worst fears came true. I was just you, like, say. that very, very, very rarely happens, but it happened in this case. Right. And now they're thinking, like, well, why wasn't he there? Yeah. Yeah. This is where that journalist says there is no iPhones, you know, very little technology. This is going to require some boots on the ground, gumshoe work. Gumshoe gum work. Gumshoeing. The hey, work. Gumshoes. Gumshoe. Like Carmen Sandiego, right? Yes, hey, yes. gumshoes. <laughs> totally. We got to bring that back. Here's another major thing that was missing. So, like, her beret is missing, a glove is yeah. missing, her wedding ring is missing. And her wedding ring is a, r- a really unique piece. It was custom made. Yeah. And so was Richard's, her husband. Exactly. She had a ring that was custom made. There was a silver band with a black stone in the middle, and I think two red stones on the side. And his ring was silver metal with a red stone in the middle and two black on the side. They were identical to a point, but they were opposite colors. Now, Richard's ring was the same, but the colors were opposite. So right. there was a red stone in the middle and two black stones on the side. And they just say that, like, well, if if the person who did this stole the ring, maybe they tried to pawn it or something. Yeah. And if we can find the ring, then we can probably find the person who did this. Right. Which I'm like, are murderers that fucking stupid? In 1980? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, even still, but, like, yeah. hashtag stay stupid. Like, everyone is so bad And, at like, this. I'm sorry, that ring is long gone. If yeah. it was on a table in Soho, like, next to the right. fake Louis Vuitton or whatever they yeah. were doing back in 1980, like, it's gone. Yeah. And no one is going to say, oh, yeah, I remember that guy that put that tape. Like, it, no, and there's you, no cameras. Like, no. right. It's 
Yeah, they don't. Those guys like with the tables don't have like an inventory, and they're definitely not going to be a snitch. Like, right. let's yeah, yeah. be honest here. So it's Monday morning, and the investigation really starts to ramp up. This is three days after. So like, she died on a Friday. I'm like, nobody can work over the week. You had to wait till Monday to ramp up. Just go. To, this guy's at his desk till two a.m. Get 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 call people in. There's a dead body. Well, it was the construction site, so the construction wasn't happening on the weekends. Right. So when yes. Monday rolls around, sorry, all, <laughs> sorry, I got a little worked up. All the construction workers. Yeah. And, look, I I know all about no show jobs. I. Yeah. Yeah, across yeah, yeah. from one where it was it was horrible, but all the construction workers are back at work. So, right, and that's what that, right. That's what they're saying. Like right. they couldn't talk to people who were at the who worked at the murder scene because those people don't work on weekends. Right. So now, like the puck building went from this sort of like desolate, empty place to just this really like booming construction site in the light of day. Right. So the cops go down to question people, and it isn't long before a plumber speaks up. This plumber who comes in and he sort of barges in and and he's got to get something off of his chest. And he thinks he knows who killed Teresa. He's got got to get something off his chest. He thinks he knows who killed Teresa. And he tells, so he's working at the Puck Building as a plumber. Yeah. And he lives with his brother-in-law named Joey Sanza. And Peter says, look, this Joey. I was like, hang on a second. You live with your brother-in-law? Where's the wife? What? Oh, she's in the tub. We'll get to her. (laughs) Kathy. Peter says, Peter's like, look, my brother-in-law. She's in the tub. In in maybe one of the grossest moments we're going to ever cover. We'll get there in just a minute. I mean, maybe not grossest. To me, I I was feeling very vomitous. It's really bad, it's but I'm really, just saying, like... Yeah, we'll get there. So, Peter's like, my fucking brother-in-law. So I know. This guy, his name is Joey. He works at the Puck, and he and one night he comes home, and he's super agitated. Yeah. So And it happens to be the night that now Peter knows Teresa was killed. Right. Yeah. So, Kathy is... The sister. So, so just to so you can understand yeah, what's going yeah, yeah. on here, this guy Joey has come to live with his sister and her husband. Right, and the husband is the one who's like, "Ah, oh, my brother-in-law who just came to live with us was acting real weird." And here's the weird thing. So when the when the brother-in-law Joey comes home, his sister Kathy is in the bath. She's in. She just took a bath. Oh, this right? is so gross. She Joey's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait don't drain it. <laughs> Joey said, "Can I use your water in the bathtub?" Kathy said, why would you want to use my water? I just took a bath in it. Joey Sanza gets into the bath, which had not yet been drained by Kathy. That was very notable to to Kathy and obviously very strange. He wants to take a bath in her bathwater. Jillian, why is my skin crawling? I don't know, but it made me think of that No Doubt song. What is it? It's called Bathwater. <laughs> and the, the chorus is, is literally like, and I still love to wash in your old bathwater. <laughs> it's literally oh. about Gwen Stefani or whatever wa- wanting to like bathe in someone's old bathwater. I think that, like, I am not a squeamish person about these kinds of things. This made me want to jump out of my seat. Bathing in your sister's bathwater, that feels so gross to it's me. Dis- it's absolutely disgusting. It's one thousand. Right. It's so, but everyone, everyone's like, Whoa, like record scratch right. moment in the precinct. They're like, I'm sorry, he did what? Yeah, like yeah, what yeah. he did is so weird and disgusting that I no know. one forgets it. We have four <laughs> cops tell us the same story because they're like, and we remember that little yeah. tidbit, that little fact. Oh my because God. it's so weird. Because I like the urgency of him needing to wash them. That's the point. You like, know, it's 43 years after the fact, and everyone remembers this disgusting detail. Wouldn't you? Yes. I'm gonna remember this for the rest <laughs> of my life, unfortunately. <laughs> with the soundtrack of No Doubt. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, you see 
dream of lovers. <laughs> and that's the point. He just needed to like wash himself, right? Yeah. But wait, was the point of bathing in her bathwater to get her DNA on him or something? Like why? No, I think this Joey just... guy's an idiot. Okay. I I, th- I think he was just like, get out of there. I need to. I think he was panicking <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. the Peter, the brother-in-law, says he was very agitated. Yeah. So he just. I I don't think he cared. He wasn't thinking. And I think that I I don't even know if he knew that it was her old bathwater necessarily. Uh, like he would just yeah. needed to wash himself after committing this horribly violent act. But on top of that, yeah. like not only is that weird and disgusting and like a major red flag. <laughs> totally. That we all remember 43 years forever. later. Ever. <laughs> but it also it also seems like they live in these like like the, their apartments from the 1930s yeah. where like that's the only way to get washed is uh-huh. to sit in like the bath with the feet on it. <laughs> like a clock Like tub. a clock tub. Is that what it's really called? Yes. A clock tub? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. To me that she was like, oh, what a lovely. Totally. She had had it. She had like a long week. I, her brother moved in with them a couple weeks ago. Like, like it that sucks. can't be fun. And he's clearly a piece of shit. Totally. So like it's not fun. They just want to watch Cheers or uh-huh. whatever. Okay. <laughs> What's going to happen with Sam and Diane? Yeah, Norm! <laughs> I started watching a couple episodes of Cheers. I like Cliff. Oh, my God. Cliff is good. He's like, hey, uh, yep. just, uh, hey, Normie. Uh, no, he calls him Nam. Hey, Nam. I, I just uh, couldn't stay. Well, anyway. But Peter also tells investigator that Joey, the bad guy here, Peter got Joey the job at the puck building. But then, like, on Monday, Joey never shows up for work. Right. So not only did he do this weird bathwater thing. Yeah. Peter also tells investigators that Joey was supposed to go to work the next day, but he never showed up. Then he doesn't show up Saturday night to sleep in Brooklyn, nor does he come back Sunday night to sleep. He took some money from uh, Joey Sands' sister and a piece of jewelry. He steals money and jewelry from his sister. Which is just like, oh my God. This is the guy. And like, Peter's like, I told you not to let him move in here. Yeah, and she's like, I know, I promised my mother. God. I told you this was going to be a problem. All right, I promise her, okay? <laughs> what, you're always right. You got what you want now. It's not fucking guy coming back. He's not living in here. Not what? Not I don't want him to live in I don't want him to live in here. He's not my fucking jewelry. I pay all my bills <laughs> She turned into kitten heels. <laughs> God damn it! Oh my God! I that was the best. Yeah, the, the, you can't. That that really was taking a toll on their marriage. Yes, no question. Yes, Joey, for sure. the brother, like not only any brother-in-law, like this piece of shit. Honestly, Peter was so anxious to turn this guy in for murder. He couldn't, he couldn't wait. Do it fast enough. The cop, the cops show up and they're like, "Hey, Dan." <laughs> He's leaving all the construction stuff. And Joey, this is going to burn the place down. I don't care. I don't fucking tell him that. It's, it's like when people like ask for, t- when the cops ask for tips and everyone's calling about yes. like their shitty neighbor or bad exactly. ex-boyfriend. Or Pe- boy- yeah. Peter's like, this is my fucking time to shine. Because you're asking. Yes. And yes. boy, do I have a story for you. Oh my like, God. this is actually the guy. Yes. But then they go and talk to the sister, Kathy, yeah. and she gives them more information. Well, some of it's a little garbagey. It's true. So what, what, what? I only have the ring. So, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So, no, Kathy says, not only was my brother acting strange, he was wearing an unusual ring. Remember how... You got real Joe Pesci, an unusual ring. An unusual ring. No, that's not Joe Pesci, but you got, like, Steve Martin doing an accent. Like, it's a really unusual ring you got there. Did I really do that with my hands? I don't know if you did, but with your, your tone yeah, yeah, gave yeah, yeah, me yeah. the hands. Real unusual ring. Got him it's a real unusual. But Kathy says, so remember, Teresa was missing her ring. His sister noticed uh, the ring and commented that it made him look feminine. 
made him look effeminate. Right. Because it's too... Why don't you go down and hang out with those queens in the West Village? (laughs) Stonewall! Oh, wait till I tell mom about this. It's unnatural. You know, we always knew. We always always knew. knew. He was always a little... What if he's always a little... Yeah, a little... A little... Ding! (laughs) Ding! But Kathy's able to describe the ring in enough detail. Because it is very unusual. It is. And it is a woman's ring. So okay. she's kind of like, what? There's you know what? I wear boys stuff all the time. People can wear whatever makes them feel it's comfortable. True. Whatever. But, but I'm not defending any. I know. The homophobia, like homophobia of it all. I know. No, but, they, but they're able to say, like, that's definitely Teresa's ring. So, like, they know he's the fucking guy. Right. So now they just need to find him. Yes. Because Joey had only been in New York for a few months. Right. And Peter, the brother-in-law, got him the job at the Puck Building, and he was just recently promoted to security guard. Which, Great. Oh, my God. When Great. we find out this guy's backstory, the fact that he was, like, no one does, when you give somebody a job like that, there should be a, a very simple background check. Yeah. You uh, know? I, I don't know what background checks were like in the 80s. Go look at the Dewey Decimal System. Go to your local library. I don't know what you have have to do but yeah. for someone to work in security they should be able to work in security now this next bit was such a clusterfuck because the, the detective says look we pulled his time card we saw that he punched out at f- and I quote he punched out I think at five something on the 5th of November that is the exact same time that Teresa was expected at the Buck building Teresa was expected at the Puck Building at exactly five something. five something. Exactly five something. Which is so funny because it's just an example of the narrator being given the copy without seeing sure. the scene. You of know course, what I mean? Right, right, right. Like, because if the narrator had been like, wait, are you want me to say exactly? And the yeah. guy just said five something. It's, of course. Keith Morrison, we're not we're not dealing with Keith <laughs> no. here, okay? She was expected there at exactly five Ex- something. Exactly. Not, a, the, not a minute over. Not a minute later. Don't you be late. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of our right. <laughs> Totally. They're poor neighbors. <laughs> God, it's every day. Uh, <laughs> Ever since you let that brother move in, I told you this was going to oh, be a fucking nightmare. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. I hate you. Yeah, well, back at you, I suppose. <laughs> Our 1970s sitcom is going to be I mean. It's going to be really good. <laughs> Now we learn that the night of the murder, Joey, the bad guy, the obviously the killer, had yeah. access to a van because one of the managers of the restoration project had given him the keys and asked him to clean the van out. And so the cops tell us Joey returns the van to the boss at 545. So mm-hmm. remember, Teresa was expected at the puck building at 5. Right. And he returned the keys. He returned the keys at 545. So the cops are saying certainly there was enough time to take the body in the van, dump the body in the parking lot and drive back to the puck building and return the keys. Remove the body and return the keys to the supervisor by 545. Now, look, I am not making a joke here when I tell you I don't know about that, like with the timeline, mm-hmm. because with the traffic in New- like in lower Manhattan, it's a fucking nightmare. Five and o'clock. I don't know exactly how far away this parking lot is from the Puck Building, but it takes you 45 minutes to get a mile in New York City. It can take you 45 minutes to go two blocks. So I'm just saying that timeline's a little sus to me. I'm mm. also eventually not convinced this guy's the killer. Really? Yeah. Well, I, there's one major thing that happens that I have some questions about. Oh, God. I mean, he is a piece of shit and I want him rotting in jail for the rest of his life. Yeah. But I'm not necessarily, based on the information given to us in this episode, I'm not necessarily convinced he's the guy. Oh, my God. I know. Uh, okay, now I'm scared. Yeah. So by 8.30 p.m., witnesses saw Joey Sanza at the Puck Building. Yeah, and he's carrying the red bag from the Met. That's okay, she, he's probably the killer. But there's, the killer. there's there's one thing, and we'll get there in a second. Okay. But he's remember, she had been working at the Met. She had a red Met bag yeah. that she was carrying. Witnesses at 8.30 p.m. see him with the bag. Right. The witnesses say the bag made him stand out, and to which I said, why? Does it make him look effeminate? Does it make him look a little... A little... A little, a little, a little twee? A little... A little... A little white loafers? <laughs> 
Where does that even come from? Light in the loafers? I think it's like a reference to being a fairy. But like loafers? I, well, we're, we're gays, but we're not going to wear loafers. Loafers are the ones where you put the penny in them, right? <laughs> yes. Yikes. Yikes. I think we've evolved yes. style-wise. But the host tells us... Detectives are confident that Joey is their man, but they have two problems. They don't know where he is, and they don't have any evidence to tie him directly to the murder. They don't have any direct evidence tying him to the case. Right, he built. So, like, it... I mean, not great evidence. No. So a month after Teresa's murder, her family goes to the Puck building. So like the the brother and the family who live in San Francisco, it's two brothers. It's John and another unnamed brother. They they are coming to New York to sort of like tie up her affairs or whatever. And they want to see where this happens. So they go to the basement of the Puck building where everyone believes she was killed. Yeah, because they're thinking that this maybe this happened in the Puck building. Yes. So they want to go to the scene and sort of do their own investigating. Yeah. And they go there... And they go down into the basement and they start seeing these numbers. Well, they go into the basement, which the cops had already searched. And the the dogs were down there. And they hit on something and the cops were like, eh, whatever. But the brothers see another small staircase to a sub-basement, which I guess the cops didn't know about. I guess not. Or ask a question about. Right. They get down to this sub-basement, which the cops did not search. And they start to see these pillars with numbers on them, like 710, 711, 712. Right. And John tells us the story where Teresa's mom had a dream. Uh, my mother said she had a dream. Teresa came out and showed up in the dream and told my mother, I am here. I'm right here. And three sevens showed up. And so when I saw those numbers, I knew this is the place. And they keep looking and like they just keep seeing these numbers that start with seven. Yes. And they keep like they are just like following the numbers, Mm -hmm. following the sevens. And they find all of the things. I have like, I I can't believe this. This is wild. I just got like, oh, my God. So they find everything that the cops were missing from the scene. The beret, her glove. And like the beret is caked in blood, they say. Like her family, her brother. Found the fucking crime scene. Like this to me is so unforgivably irresponsible of the cops. Like if you think she was murdered in the basement, can you get the floor plan and just make sure there's not a fucking sub-basement? And then it was like a month of construction happening. So people coming in and out. Like it's just so horrible. The fact that like the crime scene was perfectly preserved and the brother had to, it is so irresponsible to me. That, and I'm so glad, for lack of a better term, like the fact that this piece of shit just left everything there yeah. so that we can find it and prove that he did this to I her know. in this place. You wouldn't, like, you would think, like, if he, like, we know he came back to the puck building because people saw him at like 8 30. Yeah. Why wouldn't you go back down there and get the fucking shit that you, you know what I mean? I mean, he wasn't thinking. Clean and up, DNA yeah. wasn't a thing. And right. who cares? And like, to him, like, it's just a dead body and he's in the wind somewhere. Like, he just didn't care. Yep. So, like, John Cha is a hero. I'm yes, just saying that. I, Teresa's I agree brother. More. Like, and also the strength he has to sit and talk to us about this well, the way he does. He says, like, this thing where he said, My parents, I mean, they went through a lot, you know, Korean War. And then, you know, to have this happen to Teresa like this after surviving the war, it really didn't make much sense. They're all survivors of this, like, of this course. wartime in sure. Korea. And so, like, for them to, like, get through something like that, but then suffer this most right. tragic loss right. just feels like a fucking kick in the teeth. Yeah, and because it is. Yeah. It's, like, the worst thing that could have happened to them. So we need to find out where the fuck Joey Sands is. Yes. Like, where is this guy? They find out that he had multiple aliases. Yes. And he had an extensive record in Florida, mostly violent sexual assaults. 
So, all right, kids, pack your bags. We're going to Florida. Yeah, because they say that, like, it was really easy to get multiple identities back in this time because, like, even driver's licenses were made of paper. Yeah, they you said could at just, the time. like, make them. You in could your just bedroom. make them. Like, the, you know what I mean? So, like, do better past. I know. You well, know what I mean? Someone get, get in that DeLorean and go back and We're fix here it. now. We're being recorded, not just on our, like, everyone's listening to us. Like, be careful what you wish for. So, but did, we, did you say this that in, in Florida, like, his criminal record is mostly all sexual assaults? Like, violent sexual assaults. Yeah. So he has a history of violent sexual assaults, but he's hired as a fucking security guard. How does that happen? The aliases. You know, oh God, it's like, oh. He wasn't, he's Joey Sanson now, but he, the aliases, you know what I mean? Yeah. The world is just a scary place. It's terrifying. It's just a scary place. It's absolutely and people terrifying. can get away with anything. Yeah, and and like in any year, it's yeah. bad. I'm sorry to scare you, I know. everyone, but like, <laughs> it's all especially. bad. Like, oh my God. So they're, again, this ring, right? They want to find Teresa's ring and it's very unique. So they're looking at the pawn shops for the ring because they're assuming. Now, they're from New York and they keep saying pawn shops, pawn shops. And it really sounds like they're saying porn, porn shops. shops. They went and checked porn. every porn shop. I'm like, you guys are checking the wrong stores. It's porn. But also, there's no way this guy's giving it up. This is a trophy. There's no 100%. way. If he yeah. left the beret yeah. and he left the glove, the one thing he has of her, he's not, it's not going to be at a pawn shop. Because it's, it's, not. it's a beautiful ring, but it's not worth anything. It's not like it's like a diamond right. ring. You know what I but mean? But to him, right, because these trophy. people are fucking fucked up, it's worth everything to yes. him. There's no way he's giving that up. Yeah. So brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. And then, six months after Teresa's murder, they get another break in the case. Sansa slips up. Joey Sansa is already wanted in Florida, but he commits an additional rape in Florida and is ultimately apprehended by the Pompano Beach Police Department. Joey Sansa commits another sexual assault in Florida, like- and this time he's caught. Yeah. So detectives go to Florida to interview him. And like the cops are like, we know he's going to try to trick us. And then they like, say, but we have. He's a fucking mastermind. He's just a violent, hateful, cruel person. That's I all know. he is. Let's stop giving people credit. Like he's going to, oh, he's going to trick us. He's really not. Like, and I'm like, are you guys okay? Like, what? What? Like, what? So then they say they have like a trick up their sleeves. And basically they sit down with this guy and they show him a picture of the ring. Yeah. And they say, based on his reaction, they knew he was the guy. Because he's like, he immediately ends the conversation. He gets yeah. a lawyer. The lawyer's like, nope, conversation over. Fine, fair enough. Yeah. And now and the cops are like, great. Now we actually have to make a case against him. Yeah. And so they go back to New York. And while they're in New York building the case in Florida, this guy is convicted on 12. 12 counts of sexual battery. 12 counts. And he's sentenced to prison and he always takes the ring. So every time he like rapes or sexually assaults a woman, he takes a ring from her either off her body or from like a jewelry box in her house. Right. So like obviously this is our guy, right? And they say like this is their theory of what happened to Teresa, that she was walking from the artist space to the puck building. She entered the area where he was the security guard. That he was supposed to be guarding, I know. And he forces her into the basement where he rapes and kills her. Yeah. And so... John, her brother, is here to also just add, like, Teresa knew Tai Chi, so she definitely did fight back. Like, the evidence on her body that the cops were like, well, maybe she fought. John is here to be like, no, she totally did. She used to do Tai Chi, and I would think that when he was beating her, she probably, you know, tried to deflect the blows with her Tai Chi moves. I mean, this is all my imagination now. And he just went berserk. She fought back. She used Tai Chi. And then he lost it. Like, John's theory is that Joey Sanza lost it, that she was even fighting back and right. strangled her. And that's because John's theory. Because it, it seems like he hasn't killed before. Like, he's raped people before, but he hasn't killed them. Right. Which is why when he got home that night, he was totally fucking freaking out. Right. Because this was the first time he'd gone that far. Like, oh, my God. So... 
Santa goes to trial and it's a mistrial. So can I just say one thing here? Because I'm like, wait a second. So he's on trial. Is there no evidence preserved that could be tested with today's technology? And they answer this question because you're right. The first trial is a mistrial. But one of the cops says to us, we learned that there's forensic evidence that was recovered from Teresa's body, but none of it matches him. Did they say that? Yes. None of it was able to be conclusively linked to Joey Sanza. So there was forensic evidence recovered, but I don't under, what I'm not following. When did they test that? That's what I'm asking. They don't give us any information here. Did they test it forensically then and they just couldn't match it because they didn't have the technology or was it tested recently? I don't know. But if there's forensic, if there's forensic evidence that exists, they should be testing it now. But they end up convicting him of this. So they don't have to. I guess, you know, but at the time, I'm just saying like, like the evidence doesn't match him. You know what I mean? I think the timeline of him getting the body to the parking lot is kind of not great. I think he did it. And at the very least, he should be in prison for whatever, because he's the fucking worst. Get him off the streets. But like, I don't know. Like the the evidence doesn't match and they got it from her body. I just I have questions there. All right. So the first trial is a mistrial. They bring him back for the second trial. And this is where the crazy shit happens. Yeah. Because they bring his rape and sexual assault victims from Florida to testify, I cannot imagine the line of questioning that produced this answer because these women... They testified that Joey Sanza was polite during their rapes. It sounds almost crazy in today's world, but that was their testimony. The local papers dubbed Sanza the gentleman rapist the gentleman rapist like, which makes me how is everybody involved in writing a story like that not in prison i do like, not that is that is unconscionable my jaw was on the, my mouth was wide open. i was like yes. wait what like what the fuck are these people thinking and yeah i'm i'm, I'm sure they just made these women describe in detail everything that he said exactly. and did yes and then there was probably something where he was just like oh excuse me right. or what but he's still doing this violent horrible oh my God. vile it's, thing and to the you the idea that an, an, a lawyer would make these women say something like that is right. so yeah who, how do you sleep at like, night oh my god so, but one of the cops was like, all right, that's somewhat problematic. Yeah, I'll say. I mean, come on. So the second trial, fucking mistrial again. Right. In 1987, he's tried for a third time. This time, a surprise witness emerges. His girlfriend. Yeah. To which I say, his what? I know. His who? <laughs> his girlfriend. I know, I know. And she says, on the night of the murder, or immediately after, Joey called her and said, hey, this time I really screwed up. I actually killed somebody. Yes. Screwed up. Did she? Does that mean, is that implying that she knew that he was out horribly attacking assaulting people and assaulting people? I know. I, it, it seems like it to me. Like, I really screwed up this time. Yeah. Hey, Cheryl, bad news. I know. Can't watch Cheers <laughs> tonight. <laughs> in the third trial, he's convicted. He gets 25 years to life. To this day, he is still in prison in Florida for those rapes and assaults. If he ever gets out in Florida, he then comes to New York to serve his 25 to life sentence. Yeah, so he's fucked. Bye. Bye. But it, this ends in such a beautiful way because we yeah. end with John, Teresa's brother. And it ends with him saying, I'm thankful that she had left behind all this artwork and it's like she's she's still here. Uh, and I would urge people to more art because that lingers and stays behind and gives you know joy to common folks like us. <laughs> 
It stays behind and gives joy to common folks like us. And I'll tell you, I looked this <sighs> up, and Berkeley has archived a lot of her art. Yeah. And they've kept it like in their permanent collection. You can see it; it's beautiful. Yeah. I'm gonna read this book. Like, I know this she book created such amazing works, and you're right about like this series really gave us a picture of yeah. who this person was, yeah. which was really remarkable. I know. I love that they did that. Yeah. Thank you, New York Homicide. Thanks. Mike. Look, we're going to be covering more of these. Okay, <laughs> Oh, girl, we did New York Homicide Slade in Soho. Not loving the title. I know. We got to do better with the titles, everybody. How about, like, her name? Exactly. That would be helpful. Fam, join us on the Patreon. Over 400 full ad-free bonus episodes for you to download right this second. Right now. I love looking at the Facebook group because people are, like, going back through and rediscovering, yeah. like, series and stuff. I Like, when I see people saying, like, I can't believe I missed this. I, I know. I, I noticed that I had, like, an unlistened to podcast, and it was this Patreon series that I had never, I, I forgot know. that I had. I know. Obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. What are we doing next, girl? So there's a series called Death in the Dorms. Oh. We are doing the first episode of it, and the episode is titled, Take Notes, New York Homicide. It's called Andrea Del Vesco. Thank you. you know? uh, all right, well, stay tuned for the funny and hilarious outtakes, baby. Oh God, maybe. maybe you'll get a little bit more of our 1970s sitcom. Maybe. Talking about cheers. Hey, Nam. <laughs> My cliff impression. Nam. Hey, Nam. And our outtakes, and we love you. Okay, we love you so much. See you next week. All right, bye. Bye. While it's wonderful to think that you can leave your doors unlocked, don't. I woke up because I heard somebody screaming. Fire paramedics operator 84 with the address of the emergency. That's 10954. Oh my God. The whole apartment is on fire. We need an ambulance. It's a visual you you don't forget. Andy, the guy that you saw run out of there, what direction did you see him running? He ran to the right. We found an adult female in the fire. I was just really scared. This was an intentional fire. This was a violent death. We just couldn't believe that someone would have done this to her on purpose. You got a conscience. That was there. Okay. Detectives have two different stories. So who's telling the truth? They didn't look at a fucking blueprint. Blue. Blueprint floor plan. Do you want to take that whole wow. sentence? Daisy now will speak Italian to Steve. Oh, really? When she wants pizza and she thinks I can't understand because she, she'll go, Daddia, I want uh, some pasta for dinner. <laughs> it's to me, Mario. Yeah. And, she, and she literally thinks I can't understand what she's saying. She's like, Daddy, I'm telling Daddy Steve that I want pasta for dinner. Daddia. <laughs> and she does the thing with the hands. It's Daddy O! <laughs> Daisy, you know what? Send her over to me. I'll teach her how to I speak. I will. <laughs> So November fifth. Wait, who do you who can't you stand in Cheers? You were gonna I rant on something. I kind of can't stand Cheers at all. I I don't like. I, I never I, was into it because it's very Bostony sportsy. Like it, it, I just wasn't into it. I fell off. I tried because it's like the greatest. You know, I really really tried. The only character I really hated was Fraser, and then but I loved Lilith. I hate Fraser too. So I didn't boring. I didn't make it to Fraser. Oh really? I haven't even watched up to Fraser yet. I Sam and Diane have broken up and got back together uh-huh. like two or three times. Uh-huh. But I I was kind of like Mike, you can watch. I'm, My I'm, whole thing was like it. it all takes place in this one room. Like that's so boring. That's like every sitcom. I though. guess so. 